It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert, and today on the podcast, I am so happy to welcome my dear friend, Marilee Boyack. So Marilee Boyack loves life and loves every season of life, especially this one. She enjoys hanging out with her hubby, four sons, two daughters-in-law, and three grandchildren and discussing politics. She's an estate planning attorney, preparing trust wills and powers of attorney, and she's also a professional lecturer and speaks all over the country. She's been featured for many years at BYU Education Week, Time Out for Women, and is a published author. She loves to travel and meet people all over the world, and her perfect day is camping in a tent, reading a good book, taking a perfect hike, and eating free food. (laughs) Her current passion is serving as chairman of Abortion Free Utah Coalition to eradicate elective abortion in Utah, and she also serves as development director for Pro-Life Utah. She's created the Empowered Families Coalition of Pro-Family Organizations in Utah to support family and traditional values, and is passionate about um, and is a passionate community activist working to protect unborn babies, families, and traditional values. She's the author of several books and talks, including The Parenting Breakthrough, Strangling Your Husband is Not an Option, In Trying Times, Just Keep Trying, and then her most recent children's book, The Star Leads Us to Him. And they live in Lehigh, Utah. So Marilee, really quick, I have to tell um, my audience, when I first saw you, I was pregnant with my oldest son. So I also have four sons, which um, – immediately bonded me to you when, when I started getting to know you more, cause you have four sons. I'm like, help me teach me. Um, but I was pregnant with my son, Boston, and I went to hear you speak at BYU education week. And it was all about raising kids to be independent and, um, and, and to be hard workers and, um, you know, basically not do everything for your kids all the time. And so I, and I was pregnant. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to go to this amazing class. I'm just, I'm going to do things perfectly. Um, that hasn't happened, but I listened to you talk and you were so forthright and just bold. And you're like, listen, ladies, this is what you got to do. And I loved you so much. I'm like, this is my kind of woman. And then years later, we started speaking together. We did some time out for girls and women tours. And then you are now my neighbor. You live two doors down. So it's so funny that I'm like, oh, I just looked up to you for so many years. And now to have you just right next door and in my ward, I, I send my boys over frequently to Marilee's house to borrow things or get buy honey. They have bees and it's so bring cookies, man, a lot. Yeah. We bring cookies. Yep. We, we trade for treats. And um, anyway, so the Boyacs are just a wonderful family and I'm so happy that you've taken the time to come on my podcast, but tell me a little bit about, I want to know about you growing up. So were, were you always vivacious and outgoing and speak your mind? And oh, no, 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 no. Um, <clears throat> actually when I was born, I was born with, uh, severely crossed eyes and had many, many surgeries and some and miracles along the way. I was painfully shy, extraordinarily quiet. Um, I was socially awkward. I read books that, you know, reading got me through um, my whole childhood. Uh, so yeah, no, kind of 
opposite of what I am now in many I ways. I cannot even imagine. I cannot yeah. imagine like quiet merrily. Oh, <laughs> the that I, and I had so much anxiety. Now I know what to call it. Yeah. Uh, I was on tranquilizers by the time I was 12 years old. <gasps> uh, oh yeah. And back then nobody was on them. So it was very, you know, I mean, that was very significant. And yeah. uh, that, that was huge. I, I was uh, developing an ulcer. I just internalized all that stress and fear and anxiety and worry. Um, and I and I remember a quick story. I was walking down the hallway and I overheard my mother talking to the doctor. And she said, "Yes, the tra tranquilizers are working." And she told me they were tummy pills because I thought it was for my gut, you know. And I stood in that hallway. I'll never forget that I'm 12 years old. And I heard that and went, "Oh my word! I'm 12 years old and I'm on tranquilizers." And I, I went into my bedroom, I fell to my knees <laughs> and I said, Heavenly Father, I am not coping. I don't know how to cope. I don't know how to handle my life. And my parents were dealing with a number of issues with my sisters and they weren't in a position to really help me. And I said, please help me deal with this. And um, that tutelage, that training of learning how to be, face my fears, learning how to handle anxiety, learning how to find peace, and to cope began at the age of 12. Um, and I went into my mom and I said, I'm not gonna need the tummy pills anymore. And I threw them away. And uh, that was the beginning of my journey to becoming <laughs> a confident, peaceful person. That's Many amazing. Years oh, that yeah. is amazing that you, so why did you not want to take, was it the thought that you had been deceived into taking them or was it that you no, thought, I well now, I so entrenched myself with God in that moment. I tied myself to the mast of that ship with duct tape. And I knew I had such strong faith that I knew Heavenly Father would teach me what I needed to learn. And so I didn't need those. Um, the, I didn't need the pills. I, and I just, uh, and he did. He had, I started reading the Book of Mormon. Um, and my prayers went to a depth that is rare for a 12-year-old child, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but he began to teach me and, and carry me along. By the time I was 14, uh, he taught me how to confront uh, my fears. I started with Ferris wheels in the grocery store parking lot. <laughs> I was terrified of Ferris wheels and, and rides, and I started on that. And, uh, and then one by one, you know, systematically kind of challenged each of the things that, that gripped me with fear. And, and he taught me the skills and led me to books that I needed to read and people that I needed to talk to. Like I say, it was quite a journey. Um, yeah, it was, it was something. Well, that is incredible. I, I have kids that, and I was a anxious child and same thing. And I didn't, I didn't ever take anything. Um, which is so funny. My dad's a psychiatrist and never thought maybe she needs some anxiety meds. Never once even offered them. And finally, when I was an adult and I had postpartum, I'm like, dad, I need something. And it's weird. It's, I don't know if it was almost like because I was his daughter, it, he, he didn't see it or it was, she's fine. Like she's always just been high emotions and whatever. And I'm like, I probably could have benefited. I probably could have oh, yes. sure benefited from that as oh. a teenager and a young adult. For I sure. could have used counseling. I could have used all kinds of help. Yeah, but, me too. You know, I'm a lot older. Back in the day, was not readily available. So yeah, yeah. The, the the tools and resources that are available now, so wonderful. They're so, so wonderful. Be sure I'm real clear. I am not opposed to medication. I think yes. absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. 
uh, there are many cases and situations where that is such a wonderful help. So yeah. Oh, big, 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 big proponent, not a problem. Um, and I go to counseling now. So yeah, please know that I support all of that. It just was, that was my path at the time. That was your path. And, and it, and like you said, it, it just made your relationship with heavenly father rock solid. And as a 12 year old, like how incredible that you could have that kind of faith and trust in him that he would help you and help you figure things out. And so you said that you, you said that you, um, you were led to books and to people and you started facing your fears one by one. So did you have a fear of public speaking? Oh yeah. I mean, you know, I hid behind my mother for like the first 14 years of my life. Um, I, but I had a really fun experience. Okay. We are still going off on a tangent here. Um, in high school, I was in a variety show and we were doing a little sketch on um, a Cinderella and Carol Burnett was on television at the time that shows you how old I am. And I love her. I thought she was hysterical. And so we're doing this, this sketch and, and I'm up on stage and I was okay with that. For some reason, I, I had that performance switch in there, you know, that it was okay. Um, so I wasn't afraid of that. And I was one of the wicked stepsisters. And I remember flouncing onto the stage dressed with this really gigantic cone hat and the audience laughed. And I launched into a soliloquy that was, had them dying. I mean, they were like crying and laughing, you know, and, and I'll tell you, it was just like, I have found who I am. It was this. And I would, and all my, you know, people, the kids that are with me are looking at me like, where did that come from? And I just went off and I'm flouncing on stage. And, and, and it was just so funny. And I remember the next day, my chemistry teacher said, oh man, I laughed so hard. I peed my pants. I go, oh, thanks. She goes, no, seriously, I had to go to the bathroom and change my clothes. I laughed so hard. But it was like flipping a switch of, oh, this is it. Um, so getting on stage was it. And man, I loved it. Uh, for some reason, I was comfortable there. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, how old was I then? Probably about 15. And there's about 15 or 16 then. Oh, baby. And that changed everything that for you. It. And I could be funny, um, and which was good because I was a complete egghead. And so I was funny and everybody would laugh. And, and I was finally able to kind of get in that social groove a little bit better, you know? And, but yeah. yeah performance and on that stage was it. So, it. so you went to BYU. Did you attend BYU? And did you try out for young ambassadors or did you do public yep. speaking or, okay, all that kind yeah. of stuff? Tried out, didn't make a dang thing. <laughs> uh, but I tried. <laughs> I tried. Um, so yeah, I really, I, I, and I finally, uh, I graduated in three years. I'm an egghead, right? You know, and then I did law school. And then um, when I was in law school, I was asked to speak at a fireside. Um, and I talked about my journey with fear. And, and it was struck such a resonating note of, this is what I meant to do. Ooh, you know, this, this is it. It kind of took that performance love into a self-help and let me strengthen you. Thing and merging those together. Yeah. And that was that after and, that. And that was that after that. And, and you've been speaking and, and sharing amazing stories and you are, you are so dynamic when you speak, like you're, you are so funny. You're straightforward. There's no fluff with you. What you see is what you get. Nothing is fake. Like, and, and you're not afraid to kind of tell people like, well, this is how it is. <laughs> like this is, this is just how it is. 
So Detroit, I got that in me. I know. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. You're like, just this, this is the way it is. So I would love on that note to talk a little bit about the book that you gave me and, and that you, um, when I, so when I had my four boys and they were a little bit younger and I came to you and I'm like, please help. (laughs) What do I do? And you're like, you need to get my book. So I did the parenting breakthrough. And, um, I will be honest when I first got it, I was so overwhelmed. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so far behind. I, I haven't done this. And I had four kids in six years mm-hmm. just under six years. So I had, you know, six, four, two newborn and they were all just all over me all the time and home all the time. And, you know, I had two in diapers and, and nursing and up all night. And it was, and, and some of my kids, I was nursing with my oldest. I was nursing when I got pregnant with my second. And so I just felt like I, completely lost myself for a couple of years, just being a mother. And I mean, it's same like now, but I, I come up a little bit for air now that all my kids are in school. But, um, I was just like, how do I do this? And you're like, you can't do it all yourself. You cannot be doing everything for your children, which I was, I lay out all their clothes. I get them all their food. I take them, I wipe all their bums, you know, all that. And you're like, you cannot do that. And so you're like, I, I remember you telling me, you're like, by age like four or five, your son can be making his own lunch. And I was like, what? No, he can't. <laughs> and you're like, oh, yes, he can. He can make his own lunch and he can get himself dressed. And I'm like, no, he wears weird things. And you're like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it does matter. So so walk us through a little bit about why you wrote that book. Did you write it because you saw strategies that worked for you or you were seeing other moms that you thought this well, is working for or what yeah, made you to write that? So I'm an estate planning attorney and clients would come in and their kids would be living in their, in their home in their forties and fifties and sixties, unable to take care of themselves, you know, failure to launch. Right. And I saw that and went not happening. Uh, I did not want that to happen because it crippled them. It crippled them. And I didn't want to cripple my kids. Uh, I also saw a whole generation being raised with ridiculous entitlement. And I didn't want that. Um, And there was no stinking manual. Man, I had these kids and no one gave me a manual. You know, they give you a manual for your electric toothbrush. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so I searched. I love to read and study and I couldn't find anything. And so my husband and I sat down and we began to create the list of everything we could think of that that we needed to teach our children so that by the time they're 18, they could be independent. And, oh. and I mean, added and added and added. And, and we would observe, you know, while we saw other people either doing really well or doing really poorly. And we kept adding and adding. And so when we had our children, our poor kids were the guinea pigs. <laughs> so when we had the kids and we, you know, I, we sat down, we divided them by year as best as we could. And we began, you know, with our oldest child and, um, uh, and, and taught him those, you know, started with three years old, you're learning to brush your teeth, you're, you know, cleaning up your toys, you're, um, you know, picking out your clothes, you're, you know, I remember my three-year-old was quite small and I remember him climbing up on the counter over and making oatmeal with the microwave and my mother just being horrified that this child had to make his own breakfast and he was so proud, you know, but he was so small, he had to climb up and, and crawl across the counter. So we began experimenting with our four children and began teaching them and refining, you know, what years worked better. And uh, yeah, that was what the genesis that, uh, uh, why we did it. So do you feel like it is better to have maybe a messier house with kids that are learning to do things and being independent? You're like, yes. <laughs> Let me tell you the story of the plant. 
So my boys clean their own bathrooms, right? With four boys, man, you have to. You, oh, you, my you boys clean. In, you know, for an annual detox. But anyway, Same. so <laughs> they come in and they said there's a there's a plant in the in the bathtub, and I thought, you know, oh, okay, one of the kids is doing a you know something for school. I'm like, okay, you know, no problem, you know, and. Two weeks later, you know, one of the kids says, mom, there's a plant, you know, in the bathtub. I'm like, you know, that's fine. That's great. You know, and so finally, I mean, a month went by and I finally thought, I wonder what this plant is that they're growing. And, and so I go into the bathroom <laughs> and here's this plant coming out of the drain that is two feet tall. No. And I know everyone's like, oh my gosh, what kind of mother is she? And I look at that plant and I'm like, that is the coolest thing. I wonder what kind of plant. <laughs> No, mother of all boys, right? You know, and, and I'm just like, I probably should pull the plant, you know. So I, I pull out the plant. So I say to the kids, guys, what the heck? And they said, we kept telling you, and we thought, oh, well, let's just see what it is, you know. And I'm just dying, and I'm thinking, what kind of mother am I that I let this plant? Grow? It must have been a seed, you know, off one of their tennis shoes or something. But it was hysterical. How I still it even grow in the drain. I, it, it, it took baby. It took, it was a thing of beauty. And so, yes, there's a whole lot to tolerate when you're letting your children be independent, you know, and including plants like plants growing in their bathtub. Oh my goodness. It's okay. It's okay. Didn't kill anybody. So what if they, how, what age do you think is appropriate for kids to start learning how to use the stove, like to cook things? To cook things. Okay. So we started microwave. Um, my oldest son was a genius boy, Connor Boyack. Many of you have heard of him. And, and so I realized as I had more normal children that those things needed to wait a little bit later. So they waited till like four. Um, so by four, they're making their breakfast, including using the microwave. So by four and five, they are using that microwave. And, uh, and some of you are not into microwaves. I get that. And so Stowe had to, of course, wait till a little bit later. Um, I do not have a gas stove. I never have because I had four boys and open flame is not good with boys. I'm just yes. telling you, yes. you know, I couldn't do candles. I couldn't do anything open flame because, you know, boys and candles and flames. So anyway, yeah. um, so I had an electric stove. I don't, you know, I'm trying to remember. I want to say by at least eight, uh, okay. for sure by eight, Okay, uh, seven, depending on the maturity of the child. Um, but oh yeah, for sure. By those ages. Yeah. Because by 10, they were cooking full meals. Um, and by 10, they're doing their own wash. Uh, so, and, and let me talk about the age of 10. 10 a good age at 10. They're excited and they're capable. And so for 10, like for their Christmas presents, we got them their own cleaning a container with cleaning supplies that we labeled and we got it in their favorite color and they got a toolbox when they were 10 and they started to get tools for their birthdays that we labeled that were all theirs. They thought that was the coolest thing on the planet. And so 10 is a huge age for getting these, these things solid because they're still excited about it and they still actually will communicate with their parents, talk to them and they're capable. So 10 is a huge, we have lots of 10 of learning all those house skills, things going on. It starts kind of at eight. They really ramp up at eight. And by 10, they're rocking and rolling. So by the age of 12, then we have a lot of adult things at 12. So at 12, they're getting to do part-time work. Um, at 12, they have, uh, actually, we have their own bank accounts by the time they're five. Uh, but by 12, they're handling, they're shopping for all their own clothing at the age of 12. Um, 
except for church clothes. I do those, but they did all their own shopping. So there's a lot of adult things that kick in at 12. Uh, and so 10's kind of that lovely sweet spot. I loved that age. Ten, I have a 10 year old right now and it is lots of fun. And there's still the magic and the innocence of childhood, but, but that also the sense of like, I can do these things and I can be independent and you well, know. They, they feel so grown up. I have they a do. I have a hammer, you know, I have my own spray bottle. I mean, they love it. They get really excited at doing what they perceive as adult things. Oh my goodness. So how, when you let them choose their own clothes, do you let them pick, do you say, okay, well it's winter. So you'll probably, you know, you need pants and you need it. Or do you kind of let them, okay, if you buy five pairs of shorts, you have, then that's what you wear in December. You wear five pairs of shorts. Oh, you mean when they're 12 and buying their own clothes? Yes. Okay, so when they're buying their own clothes, before that, there has been a whole lot of teaching and training going on of what makes up a wardrobe, how, what the difference between a sale versus clearance versus full price. They have been shopping for years. You know, I start, you know, probably by the time they're six and eight, I'm teaching them how to shop, how to, you know, how to build a wardrobe, how to compare colors, how to do all these things. Um, you know, quality versus quantity, da, da, da. So by the time they're 12, they're pretty well versed. But I will tell you, uh, there were lessons to be learned. So Connor got, we did, um, because of the way I get paid, we gave him a chunk in August. August is a great time to buy clothes. So we gave him a chunk in August and said, now let's sit down and design what your wardrobe will be. And they, you know, I need so many shirts, da, 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 da. And then uh, I said, okay, you know, Knock yourself out, go for it. Well, Connor was into name brands, and so he bought the really expensive shoes. And I said, Connor, if you buy these really expensive shoes, you may run out of money. And sure yeah. enough, he did. He ran out of money. And so the, <laughs> the next summer, and we lived in Southern California, he was swimming in cutoff jeans because oh, he was And for a boy, it's very painful. To oh, yes. An entire summer in cutoff jeans. And his brothers were making fun of him. And I'll tell you, it only took once for those consequences to hit for him to learn. Yeah, you might want to budget this money a little more carefully. But that's when I learned I buy the church clothes because I didn't want to running out of money for church clothes. So I, I did the church clothes. I, I, I learned as well through all this, like I said, you know. So yeah, a whole lot of teaching and training. And what wonderful things. How, how awesome is a 12-year-old learning all those lessons? It is. And not a, a 20-year-old, right? For sure. But what about parents, some parents, I would not be one of these parents. I'm totally one of these parents that want to rescue their child and be like, no, I'm, I'm buying you a swimsuit because it is painful and it, it, it does hurt and you need to wear a swimsuit in the summer. I'm going to buy you a swimsuit. Okay. And I want you to look at an entire generation of children who are now adults who have been rescued. We call them snowflakes. Um, and it's hard. And so I would repeat, I can't tell you how many times I repeated, I'm raising an adult, not a jellyfish. I'm raising an adult. And the best way for them to learn to be an adult is to experience consequences in the home when it's safe, right? Yes. So that they sleep through their alarm and they're late for their job at the grocery store. Oh, great. That happened now when you were only 16 and not when you were providing for a family and you end up getting fired, right? Right. So I knew that I wanted as many non-fatal yeah. <laughs> consequences to hit 
in childhood. And I would think I'm raising an adult. I'm right. Ra- oh, I can't tell you how many times I repeat that. I'm raising an adult. I'm raising an adult. I'm raising an independent person. And yes, you have to talk yourself out of the tree. Yes. Hard. It's so hard. what about if one of their choices affects you? Like, um, for example, say like you're going, your child is involved in, I don't know, a mountain bike race. Boston's into mountain biking. This hasn't happened to him, by the way, but just as an example. Mm-hmm. And your your whole family's going down to a race in Moab and he forgets his helmet. And it's like, we've paid for this race. We've paid for you to do this. And mm-hmm. we're all down as a vacation now as a family. And, and you can't race if you don't have a bike helmet. Then what? Oh, sorry. You've ruined the whole trip or okay, we buy you one and you pay us back. So, you sure. can this. you know, like what, and, and that, is it like, well, too bad you forgot it. Like at what point is it like, okay, how can we, I think is it I always think too bad? So sad or is it, okay. Yeah. I think paying for it and have them pay you back. I think it's a wonderful option. They still have consequences and see, that's what you want. Okay. Because, okay. So let us go back to why we're here on this earth. <laughs> Um, Satan, as we, I'm going to give this my Garden of Eden talk, as we know, Satan wanted to remove all the consequences. He did not want to force us to be good. That's ridiculous. He wanted to remove all the consequences of our choices. And we see that all over the world where things are happening. Look at, look at welfare, look at abortion, look at all kinds of things where the consequences of choices and behavior are being removed. Um, and what does that do? It destroys people. It destroys children. It destroys our adults. It's really, really bad. And so you can still have consequences hit. They don't have to be the exact same consequences and they don't have to be dire, but the consequence occurred, right? You didn't just say, Oh, let me buy you a helmet. Let's make it all happy and good. Right. No, there were still consequences. There were still consequences. And so I would say have as much of the natural consequence happen yeah, uh, that can happen, you know, um, and, and you have to be careful. Some children can handle more than others, but they, most kids can handle way more than you think. Um, but have as much of those natural consequences occur as often as possible. It will speed up the learning big time. Like they forget their coat for school. Sorry, mm-hmm. you're cold. You're cold. You forgot your lunch. Okay. Sorry. And, you and then the teacher t- t- says, if they need to start bringing their coat and you're like, I know I've told them they need to start bringing their coat. Like well, at what point are you like, well, the teacher's telling you, and are you like, I'm sorry. So those of you with children still in public school, uh, let's talk about that. I had a chat um, and I did public school back then. I prayed about it and, and um, was very directed to do that back in the day. Um, and, and so every year I would have a talk with the teacher at the beginning of the year, particularly with, with the young ones. And I would say in our home, we foster independence. And so if my child comes looking mismatched in their clothing, it's because they select their own, or if they come with stuff, we try to encourage independence, you know, in our children, very, very strongly. And they're all like, Oh, you're the best parents. I wish all parents did that. And so when they see stuff, they go, Oh yeah, they're the independent ones. Oh yeah. Right. And, and so they'll be much more uh, supportive of those consequences. Okay. That's good because sometimes like we get emails from teachers about, oh, they're not turning in their homework or, oh, they're not doing this and they're not doing that. And I feel like, I don't know if it, how it was. It seems like my teachers never one time, well, email was not even a thing, but besides parent teacher conferences, there was no communication with nothing. Like if I was really terrible, 
a note home or something like Carmen was talking in class all day today. <laughs> she needs to stop. But there was never like, okay, this is what they need. This is what they need to do. This is the thing they need. And and all day and every week there's a new email and there's a new this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm bombarded with teachers emailing. And I would respond and say, my children, if you're in, in public school, and I would say, um, we foster independence. They're responsible for their homework. And that's between you and him. Please communicate with him directly. <laughs> That well, and they do have their own email accounts. They do, but then it's like, how often do you want your kids to be on the computer checking emails and being, you know what yeah. I mean? What if parents are like, well, we don't like our kids to be online so much, and my eight-year-old like emailing the teacher. <laughs> and that's absolutely uh, we. And I would, boy, if there's one thing I would say, it's limiting screen time is so huge, so huge right now, so 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 huge, um, big time. Uh, in fact, there's a wonderful lecture given by Christy Kane, Dr. Christy Kane. Oh, she's bad. Yes, she's fantastic. Uh, you need to get her on. Anyway, she's so great on talking about the impacts of the constant dopamine hit that our kids get on screen time. So uh, I agree. Um, and you know what? They can work that out with a teacher, but those children need those consequences. I, I watch, I'm watching a, a nephew right now whose mother has ridden him and helicopter parented him and he's about to, you know, graduate. And I think he does not have the skills. He doesn't know how to manage his own life, manage deadlines, manage projects, you know, be responsible, turn things in. I mean, all those wonderful things. Yeah. Cause mom's been doing it all. Yeah. Um, and so boy, pull up, pull back, pull out early. Let them learn how to do those things on, on their own. Well, and it's hard. It, I think that I didn't realize how hard it would be to watch my kids fail, to watch them. Yeah. Isn't that hard? Oh, it's so hard and, and get bad grades. And when you're like, it was as simple as you turning in a disclosure. Like that was the dumbest thing. Like you finished it. You just didn't turn it in. Like I signed it. We did it. We read. And it's like, oh, I just forgot. And it's like, oh, that's minus 10 points. Like that's the dumbest thing. So it's so hard for me to be like, did you remember this? Did you remember that? Do And I've been trying to like, okay, I'm going to take a step back and just say, hey, how's it going? Can I help you? Can I help yeah. you with anything? Do you need help with your homework? Nope. Okay. And then like, okay. Instead of, nope, let me sit down beside you and look with my own eyes to see. Because sometimes I'll say, nope. And then come to find out, oh yeah, actually I did. I had a quiz. And it's That's like, hard. oh my gosh. Don't we want them to learn that at home? Rather than I'm 30 years old providing for a family and I haven't finished the project and I didn't turn in the form and I didn't do right. I mean, I love looking at the time we're raising children as just this wonderful, you know, uh, lab of, of teaching our children all these wonderful skills that they need to learn. Um, and, and letting those failures hit and letting them own it and letting them learn those hard lessons in a safe place. Yes. Uh, that's just so awesome. 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 And, and, you know, anytime we remove that learning experience, we're just delaying the inevitable and it gets way harder. It's way true. Harder. It's true. It, it's easy to learn it now when they're younger versus when they're older and the consequences are a lot greater and a lot. You've got some kids that are going to learn by what I call the brick wall method of learning. <sighs> some of our children just are resistant and they have to keep hitting that brick wall and go, oh yeah, that hurts, right? And it just, some of our children take a whole lot longer to cook and to learn and some of them resist that and don't learn. Uh, but our job as parents is to continually provide those learning experiences and let those consequences go and then encourage them and say, look, 
you know, you learn how to turn things in, right? You learn how to do this. I know you can do hard stuff. I'm so proud of you. We can be their cheering section without constantly being the nagging section. Yes. And that is hard not to be the nagging section for sure. So Marilee, you are a huge proponent of, of families and, and you've done a lot of awesome things here in Utah um, to support the family and the family structure. What got you involved in that? Why is that so important to you? Uh, that has been a spiritual calling, um, for my whole life. Um, and I got very involved. I, I began by getting, uh, volunteering quite a bit when I was growing up, I was always volunteering in all kinds of things. I was very civically minded, uh, community minded, uh, as a girl, my dad was, and, and had us do a lot of things. So that was kind of part of my DNA. I um, mean, as I got older, I saw the threats to the family. I got very involved in my children's activities and in school and all this. And I saw things that were very concerning. And I was in California, so I saw them early on, right? It was bad. And uh, I remember when the proclamation on the family came out in 1995. Um, and when they read, we call upon responsible citizens everywhere to promote those measures designed to maintain the strength of the family is a fundamental unit of society. I had a thrum go through me head to toe that that was me, that that was my life's work, that that was what I was called to do. Um, and I, you know, I had learned hard, I had learned to go through hard things, right? And and overcome a lot. And and I had gained my voice early from all of that, right? And, and my confidence from going through all that. And I knew that a lot of people struggle with being courageous enough to step forward in those arenas. A lot of people have a really hard time facing um, the backlash and the contention. And I knew that I could overcome a lot of that and could use that skill set to be a champion for families, which I did. And away we went. And it's, and, and you have, you have fought for, for the, you know, the integrity, um, of, of families and, and, and life and family life, um, and the importance of, um, raising wonderful children in a safe, happy, healthy home. Um, and right now there's, you know, there's a lot of controversy on what makes a safe, happy, healthy home. Um, so what do you think? What do you think? <laughs> Okay. So, uh, one of the things I did uh, was I memorized the proclamation on the family when it first came out. Awesome. Um, I encourage everyone to do that. And honestly, even if you are not uh, of the LDS faith, 99% uh, of that is going to align with your family values as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, actually all of it will, there just may be a sentence or two you don't understand. So I, I encourage everyone and I encourage everyone to have their children do that as well. And the proclamation is very clear, you know, happiness and family life is most likely to be achieved when founded upon the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I mean, nowadays, that is truer than ever, isn't it? That we have got to be rock solid in our homes. Our, you know, we, we used to talk about making our homes places of, you know, safety. I now talk, I use a fort analogy. We're building forts. Uh, that they are to be sanctuaries of faith, as we're told. And and I look at my house as a fort. I go through every inch of my house. Uh, when I was raising my kids, we did what we call the telestial test. We went through every inch of our house and removed everything that was not virtuous. Any book, any game. I didn't allow video games at all. And uh, But any 
any toy, any clothing item, anything that was not of a virtuous level was tossed. Wow. Um, and I, I also use what I call silent teaching. Every room of my house, I wanted to teach my children uh, what was important and true. And so there were pictures and I, I love words. I'm a, I'm a writer. I love words. And so in every room in my house, including the bathroom, I had things that were uplifting and motivational and inspirational so that I used my home as a teaching method as well of what was important, what was valuable, what we were focused on, um, and kept my home uh, an absolute fort <laughs> and did not allow things in. That's why I didn't allow video games. We did not allow things into our home that would detract from that feeling of peace and faith and family and love. Uh, it, it was not allowed past that front door. So what about like, you know, if you're watching a jazz game or if you're watching it, something, there's commercials, would you just fast forward or did you say no TV? Because I'm trying to think of their TV in general, like even Disney. I mean, the, the most, the cleanest, most family friendly you would think they all have stuff that I'm like, eh, I don't agree with that. Oh, I don't like that. Nah, it's just a part of that. So would you be like, well, we're just not doing it at all? Or would you be like, we can fast forward or we can change hey, it down a little bit? You're on a walk <laughs> and someone is splashing poop on you. <laughs> splashing poop. Okay. <laughs> do you say, you know, they're scooping animal poop and they're splashing. I mean, do you just say, Oh, well, most of, most of this, this area of walking was okay. No, um, I, I got to admit and, and, you know, <laughs> call me whatever you want. I would so protect my children from evil this day in this day. Uh, I, I get that we need to have our children experienced in living in the world. I totally get that, man. I, I grew up in Detroit. Okay. I raised my kids in Southern California. I get that. But I can, uh, I can protect my children from intentional exposure. Um, so I would probably control, and this, this is kind of me being really controlling. I would control access. I, I would have that as clamped as I could. Uh, no child needs a cell phone. I'm, I'm sorry. Um, although there are some uh, good ones out there that only allow yeah, Gab. Gab's yeah, awesome. my, my grandkids have the they have the little watch that they can only call ten numbers on, yeah, on numbers. Yeah. So right, so there are things now that you can do that are very controlled. But boy, yeah, the the TV that is out there, whew, no way. Uh, we had severely limited screen time. We allowed our kids to watch TV Friday evening. They did not watch Monday through Friday evening at all. Zero TV. Um, and then they could watch Friday evening. Saturday, they could watch for an hour after they did their chores. Um, and Sunday, they, we could watch typically as a family for about an hour there. So I had very, very limited screen time. And I would do that now. I would probably, yeah, I really, yeah, it's bad. So where does that come into play with them making decisions and choices and letting them decide for themselves? Obviously, you're not going to let them get on the right. internet, you know, but, right. but the they're getting older. You're right. And so it begins. And I'm talking about young children here, exposure yes. to young children. And, and you're right. By the time they're, you know, 10 and 12 and starting to get into those tween years, they're yeah. going to have exposure and you're going to teach them. 
Um, a wonderful resource on this is Protect Young Minds. Uh, wonderful resource. Um, Chris has done a thing uh, against pornography. Is it a book? Uh, is it a is it an Instagram account? What is that? Um, oh, you know, she's written a series of books. It's a website now. I don't know. She's probably on Facebook. Um, you know, I don't know if she has Instagram. I don't do a lot of Instagram because at my age, I don't want to see pictures of myself. But I digress. Anyway, um, and and so there are some wonderful resources out there to help you protect your children. But you're right. Your point is well taken. That we begin kind of at about you know that ten twelve certainly by twelve to do a transfer <laughs> where yeah. we're transferring over bit by bit the control over their lives. And we, and we teach them, we don't just say, Oh, well, you're 12. You can start watching TV. We right. teach, we teach them critical thinking of, Hmm, what did you think about that? Or how would you choose that? And we begin that transition over uh, toward independence. You bet you have to do that because you can't just protect them and keep them in a cocoon till they're 18 and then toss them. Mm -mm. But I think so, so often we miss that teaching training component. Right. Uh, I considered myself a trainer. I was training my children. And I think that mindset's a really good mindset. You teach a lot more. You intentionally talk about things a lot more. I used, boy, when we were driving in the car. That was like they couldn't fly out of the vehicle. So it was wonderful teaching time. And a lot of things, not just spiritual things, which, hello, I would do that in space, but also very, I can remember doing a road trip, a family road trip. And we were talking about the effect of advertising and how advertising was. And, and I remember the kids looking at billboards and kind of picking up a part of why did that attract me? And, you know, and so we yeah. talked a lot of critical analysis uh, that I think is really helpful. Yeah. Well, it, I feel like just raising kids right now is, is tough. And there's a lot of amazing resources like you talked about, um, to help us do that. But there are some days and I think, Oh my gosh, like, are we all going to make it? Are we all going to be okay? I mean, it's, it's scary sometimes to think about, um, you know, raising our kids in today's world, but, um, I think I teaching them that the thinking, the critical thinking is important. We yeah. So many dinner conversations were asking the question, why we would talk about like, political things. We talked about everything. And I would say, well, why, you know, why do you think being morally clean is important? Why is that? Right. Why is dating till 16? Why? And, and what why? It did really allowed them to focus on, oh, well, maybe because this leads to this, leads to this, and they don't want this, you know, and, and it allowed the kids to come up with their own framework for why we encourage, you know, postponing dating till 16, why we encourage people to be honest, why it's important to be, you know, an informed voter or whatever, whatever you're teaching yes, us. Right. Conversations and uh, teaching that skill set of asking that question, why and thinking it's, that's huge. That is huge. It's true. And, and to be able to have an environment where kids can can ask you those questions too and, and open up to you what you can say, why do you think? And they can open up that they feel like, okay, I can ask my mom and dad kind of tough questions without them getting worried about me or why, why are you thinking that, you know, and, and getting yeah. upset that I'm thinking weird things or I'm doing something wrong, that you can have that kind of environment where you can ask questions and have your kids feel comfortable talking to you. And I, I'm just, I'm so grateful for you, Marilee, even for taking the time to come on the podcast today. And, and I think that, um, I, your book, I've read it, the parenting breakthrough. Um, and 
I love what you said in there because I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm so far behind. I'm not doing these things. And you're like, it's never too late to start. It doesn't matter how old your kids are. Like start now, like start now implementing these things. Start teaching them now. Start having them. And I, I'll say since reading that book, like my kids, they clean their own bathrooms. And, they, and it is. Sometimes I'll go up there and I'm like, what did you do? Or they'll leave everything out. And I'm like, oh, this isn't how I would do it. And I'm like, okay, I never go up there. It doesn't matter. Like, does it really matter? There's no tree growing in the drain yet, <laughs> but <laughs> it'll come. But, um, but actually they, since they've been doing this for a couple years now, they're actually pretty darn good at it. Like I'll go up there, you know, now and I'm like, the toilet actually looks pretty good. Like you look like it looks clean or it yeah. looks like you did something and you know, with their rooms and things like that. So it, and I can tell like my son makes his, they make their lunches every single day. My little tiny six-year-old who's in first grade makes his own lunch. And sometimes I have to double check there's food in there. You know, what, what did you put? Did you just put a dinosaur toy? Like what's in there? But they do, they have such a sense of accomplishment of look what I did. And, and I did this myself. And I, and it's funny because when I'll be in bed and they're like, can you make us breakfast? And I'm like, oh yeah, I need to do that. But then sometimes I'll go in and they'll have made themselves this whole meal. I'm like, you did not need me to do that. Like you really can't, they really can do more than, than you think they can. Like they're capable of doing it. Um, so the more you let them, you can do it. I trust you. I believe in you. It, it really is true that they'll be super independent and then they'll be ready to face this world as crazy as it is with confidence, like you said. So thank you so much, Marilee, for taking the time to come on the podcast today and for all the good you're doing. Thank you. Great to chat with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family, from full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.